since we don't have much time and we have to finish before everybody wants to go for lunch i would introduce the next pair of speakers they are a team actually i will introduce both of them together uh so they are bharat and gurpreet i'll introduce bharat first bharat is an engineer and like all engineers he is interested in everything else but other than engineering he also has a management degree he's worked in automotive technology it services and automotive aftermarket but he is more interested in travel history photography literature and politics he travels across the state of tamil nadu to capture the ancient living temples of the state he and gurpreet are working on a coffee table book on the pallava and chalukya temple and he is going to talk to us about south indian temple architecture today he lives in chennai he is on twitter he is usually famous as @breku if you are on twitter please follow him now i come to gurpreet uh, he is co-author of this coffee table book on uh, on chalukya and uh, pallava architecture gurpreet is a finance professional holding again an engineering degree and masters of finance but again your education has got nothing doesn't have to do anything with your passion so she is interested in travel history literature and she loves exploring various themes relating to indian culture and its origins she lives in mumbai with her family and she's on twitter as guri chopra and she is as i said she is a co-author with bharat of a coffee table book on chalukya and pallava architecture and bharat and gurpreet are going to talk to us about the dravida style of temple as sir has already explained there are two main styles one is roughly known as north indian style which is nagara and one is the south indian style which is known as the dravida style there is a separate sub type which is kalinga architecture which our next speaker is going to talk to about but i uh, now leave the stage open for bharat and gurpreet to talk about the dravida style of architecture thank you uh, thanks shefali ji um, i hope everybody can see the screen Uh, I'm going to keep the video off. I don't want uh, bandwidth issues going forward. Uh, first of all, Guri, and uh, you know, on behalf of Guri uh, and myself, I thank the academy for giving this opportunity to two amateurs. The topic is quite vast. We've tried to cover as many uh, aspects of it as possible in these forty forty-five minutes. In the uh, first, uh, in the first twenty minutes, I'll run through some theory. uh dr deglorkar has already covered a lot of it so i will just touch upon this uh and get into the basic uh, details of dravida style then i will take you through a visual journey of pallava temples and in the next 20 odd minutes kuri will take you through uh, chalukya temples covering a lot more elements as shefali ji said we've jointly co-authored a coffee table book under the guidance of dimple ji and harikiran ji uh and we hope it will hit the stand sometime soon the book will have way more details than what we are presenting today i will start with what lord krishna said in the bhagavatam about the punya of building a temple now while not every ruler was a shri vaishnava i think every ruler was fully cognizant of what he would attain by building a temple so much so that one rarely comes across huge palaces or grandiose residences of illustrious kings but one definitely comes across the grand temples built by their rulers uh building temples as uh, uh dr deglorkar already said involved very clearly defined principles and with massive rise of temple construction sometime around the 4th 5th century several texts have been written to ensure that the construction of a temple met its divine purpose mayamata which he also mentioned in uh, in the text that he read out manasara shilpasara etc elaborate all aspects of the rituals the architecture the deity of the temple and they are also considered standard texts of vastu shastra particularly from the south vastu texts have elaborated uh, uh, you know depending on the text generally three styles nagara dravida and vesara we'll also be seeing kalinga later as shefali ji said all of these styles are built on very common principles there is a variation in style of course so we will explore the dravida style and uh, specifically we'll explore it through the temples of the two kingdoms pallavas and chalukyas who were instrumental in establishing these styles across the south you can see what uh, uh, k r shrinivasan um, uh, former deputy director of asi and a renowned archaeologist and historian has noted about the influence of these kingdoms their temples on the subsequent kingdoms uh, which constructed temples 
the agama shastras deal very holistically with temple architecture and rituals the deity the architecture and rituals are not really distinct from one another in the agamas the deity dictates the architecture of the shrine since the temple is as much an extension of the deity as the uh, uh, vigra itself uh, and i think dr deglorkar covered this extensively in the last part of his talk the shrine too therefore has to be very precise for the deity to be effective within you can't just build a temple and then decide which deity to install the ideal uh, temple would at have at least one entrance the gopuram uh, anartha mandapa mandapa a garbhagriha shikhara directly above the uh, garbhagriha and the design generally comprises of gopuram the entrance early south indian temples don't have a very huge gopuram that you see these days in fact the tallest uh, gopuram that you will see is the srirangam temple and that was constructed sometime around 1980s so it is not really uh, a common feature in the earlier temples uh, in terms of having a huge gopuram but there is a gopuram there is a dwajastamba usually you also have a balipitha which is a kind of a lotus pedestal structure for offerings then you have a large mandapa then the passageway through the mandapa which leads to the garbhagriha there is also generally an artha mandapa just after the main mandapa and before the garbhagriha the garbhagriha with the vimana above and you also have uh, pradakshina pathas around the garbhagriha and the mandapa these temples also have uh, uh, temple tanks generally a very important component of temple construction is mandala mandalas channel the energy into the temple to make it conducive for the divinity to be installed and thereby fulfill their purpose in fact stella cramrish has noted very nicely about vastupurusha mandala she says vastupurusha mandala represents the manifest form of the cosmic being upon which the temple is built and in whom the temple rests the temple is situated in him comes from him and is a manifestation of him the vastu purusha mandala is both the body of the cosmic being and a bodily device by which those who have the requisite knowledge attain the best results so the purusha is of course uh, not uh, related purely to the uh, ground plan the purusha is also related to the elevation of the temple and dr deglurkar has already covered it by saying how the body and the uh, temple structure itself are completely interrelated different parts of the temples are named after the limbs of the body with prana finally being installed in the murti uh, from both these talks keep these elements in mind as we go through pictures of the temples now we'll move forward to something more visual the pallava temples so the pallavas ruled their territory which was called uh, tondai mandalam tondai is uh, basically uh, uh, ivy gold and there are back stories behind it about how uh, the first pallava floated onto the shores with a tondai creeper around his neck they ruled for 6 centuries late 3rd century till the 9th century uh, in fact vishnu gopa of kanchi is mentioned in the allahabad pillar of samudragupta albeit that samudragupta defeated him in battle both kanchipuram the capital of the pallavas and the renowned seaport of mahabalipuram whose temples we will see are mentioned in the sangam literature and also in the works of a lot of european chinese travelers we are going to cover in this the uh, temples that were built from the reign of mahendra varma pallava all the way up to nandi varma pallava before i go to the temples themselves i want to share what uh, kalki has portrayed in his magnum opus kuni in selvan he captures a very poignant conversation between a very despondent parthibendra pallava and aditya karikalan about the ephemeral nature of dynasties and kingdoms and yet what makes them remain in the memory of people even after several centuries of their decline and the pallavas indeed have left a, an indelible mark as uh, aditya karikalan notes that the architectural masterpieces that mahendra and mamallar created will remain uh, will remind people of their greatness for thousands of years so until the pallavas arrived on the scene in south india temples were made of uh, perishable materials such as brick timber uh, metal mahendra varman uh, he also called himself vichitra chitta the curious minded started using hard rock as the fundamental building block of temples 
thereby giving these monuments a very lasting durability. He built the Trimurti temple at Mandagapattu, which is about 20 kilometers away from Jinji or Senji, in which he has inscribed, he proudly declares through an inscription that perishable materials such as brick, metal, mortar, and timber are discarded in favor of living rock. And I must point out the Pallavas dealt with really hard rock, perhaps the hardest uh, rock compared to all the other several kingdoms. So it was not easy at all. You will notice that there are no major architectural elements here. It has really thud pillars. You see uh, uh, Mandapa and behind there are three uh, sanctums. All three sanctums are today empty. It is administered by ASI. When you visit it, you won't find a single soul around. In fact, right next to it, I think there is a Murugan temple and a small settlement. And it is unfortunately poorly maintained. And that is a shame considering this is the oldest stone temple in Tamil Nadu. On the way from uh, Jinji to Chennai, you can also stop at Mamandur and Dalavanur, where there are some fine examples of more Pallava rocket temples. Um, and uh, uh, they are also far more detailed than this. Now we will move to Mahabalipuram. Uh, Mahabalipuram was indeed uh, an incubation center because you will very clearly see progression here. The rocket temples become way more refined. Several structural elements begin to appear. Then monolithic rathas come into existence, thereby forming the first full freestanding structural stone monuments. And finally, you have, of course, the shore temple, which is a complete structural temple in itself. Tirumangai Alvar has weaved a wonderful tableau of a rich seaport of his times, and he was a contemporary of uh, Nandivarma Pallava, of a very devout populace that flourished both economically and spiritually under the uh, administration of the Pallavas. Most of the monuments existing today were built uh, during the 7th century, uh, during the reign of Mamalla Narasimhavarman I, and to some extent Parameshwaravarman I. The shore temple, of course, was built during the reign of Rajasimha Pallava in early part of the next century. I'll start with the cave temples. I'm going to take you through one example only today in the interest of time. But there are many more cave temples in uh, um, Mahabalipuram. The Varaha Mandapam cave temple was, is excavated in, inside a very large boulder. Uh, as soon as you go, you see uh, two typical Pallava lion pillars, two lion pilasters at the uh, end and also an Ardhamandapa. The shrine today is empty. It is a Vishnu temple. In the roof, you can see many of the architectural elements that uh, uh, Dr. Deglurkar spoke about, the kuta, the salas beginning to appear. The kudu structures have come in. That, uh, the pillars are far more ornate. Uh, the cave temple really now has moved on to version 2.0. The Pallavas sculpted some amazing reliefs on the walls of their temples. There are four such reliefs uh, in this uh, uh, temple, uh, Varaha, Trivikrama, Gajalakshmi and Durga. It is likely that this was constructed post a victory because all these deities represent uh, uh, and are symbolic of uh, victory. Varaha relief here is uh, carved exactly in line with Vaikana Sagama. You can notice how seamlessly the neck of the boar merges with the human body. Bhudevi is uh, seated very shy and demure as the Lord brings her out from the depths. Trivikrama is equally imposing. You can also see Jambavan flying right next to Trivikrama. Why is there a Jambavan and Trivikrama uh, depiction? I'm not going to go into the details. I'll leave something for mystery. I, I recommend you Google its significance and find out on why you see Jambavan in a Trivikrama uh, relief. Uh, next, we see Gajalakshmi and Durga. Uh, in the Durga relief, you'll see two deities. One is worshipping her just as any of us would do. The other is actually offering his head to her as a sacrifice. He has a sword uh, uh, ready to cut off his head. These reliefs that you see will reach their peak in the next one that I'm going to show you, which is Arjuna's penance or the descendant, uh, descent of Ganga. This is a very prominent landmark in Mahabalipuram, breathtaking and alluring. The sublime depiction of two different tales, Arjuna getting the Pashupata and Ganga descending to the earth in a single instance is very clever. You can see many gods, celestial beings like Ganas, Kinnaras, Kimpurushas, Gandharvas, Nagas, etc. 
on the uh, relief. Uh, they have made use of brilliant use of that natural cleft between the two boulders to make it seem as if Ganga is indeed descending from heaven as that cleft. There are many nuances to this relief. In fact, one such nuance is the Pallava clock, which Mahaparyava has noted. You can Google to realize how perfectly the exact time of the day, the season, the transition of the sun and the lunar cycle are captured in this relief. We'll now move to the freestanding structures. So we've moved from rock cut temples. Now we will go to the first freestanding structures that we see, uh, the Pancharathas. The Pancharathas were built largely in the reign of Mamala Narasimhavarman the first. They're all monoliths. You'll rarely come across uh, such a variety on display in such a small complex. From a small thatched roof temple to a multi-tiered sikara, the complex really weaves a wonderful milieu of the Dravida style. The complex is dedicated to the Pandavas and Draupadi. There are five shrines. They're all uh, uh, chariot styled. Um, and they progress in complexity. The Draupadi Ratha is like a thatched hut. It has a Durga inside on the back panel of the sanctum, very similar to the Durga we saw a few minutes back. Uh, Arjuna Ratha is a very, uh, is a smaller temple. Bhima Ratha is imposing and it's almost like a wagon. To the right of it, you have Nakula Sahadeva Ratha. And just next to it is an elephant. This is to indicate that the Vimana itself is shaped like the back of that elephant, Gajaprushtakara. Uh, if you notice carefully, Dr. Deglurkar also mentioned the Gajaprushtakara uh, uh, Vimana in his talk. Of course, the largest and most imposing among these Rathas is the Dharmaraja Ratha. Pallava architects have really displayed some spectacular craftsmanship in this. Uh, K.R. Srinivasan says this must be by far the handsomest and most powerful shikara in the range of Dravidian architecture. He goes on to say it gives a sense of architectural transcendence that goes well beyond its formal origins. It's actually three-tier. Uh, unfortunately, we can't go to the above tiers because there's no uh, mechanism to go there. Uh, it is supposed to have a range of Shaiva iconography on its walls. Uh, particularly on the above uh, tiers. We spoke about the mandalas. So you have to note the uh, perfect mandala structure here in the Dharmarajaratha, particularly the bottom left one. It is almost a textbook representation. So now we have seen rocket temples, we've seen freestanding temples. Now we'll move to the uh, complete structural temple that is there in Mahabalipuram. This is the Shore Temple. I would all recommend you if you, you, you know, whenever we get out of this lockdown, etc. And if you go there, go there at dawn, the temple complex opens at 6 a.m. You can get some amazing views of the sunrise right behind the temple. It was built during the reign of Rajasimha Pallava. It consists actually of three distinct shrines. The, the smaller front one that you see is Rajasimha Pallaveshwara. The one behind is Kshatriya Simha Pallaveshwara, the larger one. And finally, between the two, there is a smaller sanctum with Anantasai Vishnu, uh, also known as Pallikundaruliya Devar. You can see another Varaha on the bottom of the pick, getting ready to dive into the ocean. There is also a small shrine right next to it. On the other side, you will find the lion shrine. In the cavity where the heart of the lion should be, there is a small relief of Mahishasura Mardini. Every structural element that you saw in all the theory that we saw behind is now fully expressed in stone. The progression that is seen in Mahabalipuram will now obviously lead us to Kanjipuram. In Kanjipuram, we'll explore two temples where the concepts now begin to enter the metaphysical beyond just the structural. Kailas, another temple of uh, or Rajasimha Raja Pallaveshwaram, as it was called when it was built. It has inspired several kingdoms in their endeavors to build temples. This is like a landmark temple. Rajasimha Pallava, who constructed it, has several inscriptions in the temple and he has expressed its magnificence in his own words. He starts with Harasya Harahasa Rupam Atimanam Atyadbhutam. The bewitching smile of Shiva, proud, most extraordinary. Indeed, in every sculpture that you see in this temple, Shiva is always shown divinely joyous and with the most enticing smile. About the temple structure, Rajasimha says, Shaile Kailasha Leelam Apaharati. The temple has abducted the divine play of Kailasa itself. In every sense, he's accurate. 
every possible form of shiva and his leelas are captured in sandstone vimana itself towers like mount kailasa every attendant gana depicted is is absolutely in his or her element playing dancing rejoicing as one would actually imagine kailasa to be when lord sits uh, on it and pervades the universe finally rajasimha closes it with shri rajasimha pallaveshware nagendra bhoga bhima bhushana deva surendra vrinda vandita sthane sthitostu shankaras chiram in rajasimha pallaveshwaram bidek with serpents worshipped by indra and devas shankara forever resides in this place let's take a look at the structure of the temple there are approximately 60 small shrines that form a garland around the main uh, you you can see this these these are the smaller shrines there are approximately 60 of them and they form like a garland around the main shrine you also have 10 sub shrines here attached to the main structure of the building in these 60 uh, uh, smaller shrines that you see uh, south side have samhara murti forms of shiva and the north side have anugraha murti forms of shiva there are murals uh, within them of a richness that will be uh, that almost rivals with uh, ajanta sculptures on the walls of the main temple and smaller shrines are guaranteed to awe the devotee every single time he visits um, Uh, the temple and you will keep on visiting it it is such an alluring temple scholars believe that the entire temple was probably painted when it was originally built outside the gopuram you see another eight uh, uh, shrines these were built by rangapataka uh, rajasimha's queen i'll quickly run you through a few pictures the, these are the rang, uh, shrines built by rangapataka cholas had their nataraja but pallavas have this form of dancing shiva as their icon you will find it in uh, more than one temple uh, some consider it tandaveshwara sandhya tandava simeenakshi actually identified it identified the pose as the kunchita pose from natya shastra including the exact verse here you can see all the different uh, things that i was talking about at the bottom you will see the ganas dancing you see uh, right next to the lord uh, ganas playing music for him to dance parvati leaning and uh, looking at him keep an eye on the makara torana the torana has become very elaborate and exquisite as you can see straddled by the uh, pallava lions on the pillars uh, we have lingodbhava with vishnu and brahma flanking uh, the lord again the makara torana very elaborate you have dakshina murti dakshina murti is flanked by several uh, creatures you can see monkeys birds and uh, really happy lions for uh, some reason but uh, and deer uh, beneath his feet again all of the images you will see shiva with a very uh, enticing smile you will not come across a bhiksha tana like this there is so much swag in this uh, uh, image the rishi patnis are at his feet the rishis are angry and uh, you know he's uh, walking along very nonchalantly you will see uh, urdhva tandava where uh, the lord raises his foot uh, where he actually lifts his earring which has fallen on the floor raises it and reattaches it to his ear you'll see nandi right beside him in chatushta tandava um, again being uh, looked upon by vishnu and uh, brahma then we have uh, kirata and arjuna um, kirata arjuniyam was written by bharavi who was a contemporary of the pallavas then you also see narasimha you can see the movement define uh, you know depicted really sublimely so now that we have moved to vishnu structure let's move from kailasha to vaikuntha i'll try and close this uh, quickly um vaikuntha perumal temple if ever there was a temple that stood word for word for the elements of temple construction where the body of the temple itself is the lord within then that is vaikuntha perumal it was built by pallava malla nandivarma pallava was originally called parameshwara vinnagaram or parameshwara vishnugraham the structure of the temple is shown here the gray area is later construction we'll explore the black portion as one enters the main structure one can see a circumambulatory passage running around the temple walls of this passage have panels containing the complete history of pallavas starting from the first pallava uh, simeenakshi has painstakingly chronicled each panel in her thesis the historical sculptures uh, of vaikuntha perumal temple kanchi which was published in 
Then you have a moat-like structure which when filled with water will represent Kshirasagara on which the temple, which is the body of God himself floats. Through the mandapa, one then moves into a sanctum which is a magnificent seated Vasudeva. Here you see the complete mandala formation, getting expressed both on the ground plan and vertical structure. It is a four-tiered temple. As we move from one tier to the next, we are moving from the gross body of the Lord to the causal body, to the subtle body, to Atman. That is Kula Sharira to Sukshma Sharira to Karana Sharira to Atman. At the gross body level, we have Vasudeva. Subtle body level, we see Anantasai uh, Vishnu. In the causal body level, we have a standing Vishnu. The Atman chamber is void. The outer wall of the gross body has depictions of all the continents or physical realms described in the Bhagavata Purana. You'll see Bhadrashwa region, Bharata region, Hari region, etc. Gross body, therefore, physical universe. In the first tier, uh, subtle body, you have events of all the avatara purushas etched on it. Events from Krishna's life, Rama's, uh, Rama taking on the ocean, Gajendra Moksha, churning of the ocean, etc. are depicted. Further, uh, you know, uh, uh, Dr. Deglurkar also mentioned Pancharatra philosophy. As per Pancharatra philosophy, the world is manifested by the Lord through Vyuha formations, Sankarshana, Pradyumna, and Aniruddha. They are also depicted on the inner corridor as you move up to the first uh, layer. Unfortunately, third and fourth layer are inaccessible today because the temple is in a very dilapidated uh, condition. I'll just quickly run you through some of the uh, views of the temple. Vimana is a, a towering Meru Vimana, the circumambulatory passage behind which you can see the history panels. Uh, um, you know, the origin of the Pallavas. Pallavas believe themselves to have descended from Ashwatthama. So how does Ashwatthama come? His entire lineage is shown. Then the birth of the first Pallava, where Ashwatthama during, do, uh, doing a, a penance is enticed by Madani and Apsara and the first Pallava is born. Uh, you have events from all the kings before, coronation scenes, war scenes. You can see Ashwamedha Yagna where the horse is tied to a yupa. You even have adverse uh, depictions. A blank panel to show turmoil in the kingdom after Vishnu Gopa was defeated by Samudra Gupta. Uh, these two, I will just leave you with the text below for two seconds. You can Google and figure out about this. This is a very interesting feature of the Pallava dynasty. Nandi Varma Pallava is actually from, from a collateral lineage. One can go on and on about this temple. I'll stop right now. Um, uh, and uh, you know, I, I just want to leave you with this thought. We saw a lot of vibrant joy in Mahabalipuram temples. We saw Kailasa being brought all the way from Himalayas to Kanjipuram. Then we saw a complex philosophical concept in the physical form in such a way that the form itself became the divine. I think the Pallavas have done it all. They were storytellers, sculptors, architects. But above all, they were really pioneers. With this, I'll give it to Guri to take you through the Chalukyas. Thank you, Bharat. That was really, really interesting. Yeah. Uh, so, Shefali, I'll share my screen now. Yeah, please do so. And, uh, Guri, uh, just keep track of time, okay? Yeah, sure. Okay. Uh, thank you, Shefali ji. So, I'm really glad to be speaking here today among such distinguished people. I'll uh, be presenting in the next few minutes about uh, the Badami Chalukyas and various uh, temple constructions that they made within the 6th to the 8th century. We'll mainly be exploring the sculptural panels as well as briefly the architectural components and their contribution to the craft of temple building. I'd like to begin with this quote by Bhatri Hari, where he uh, refers to Shiva as someone who is not definable, yet someone who is... Uh, pure intelligence and can only be understood through self-perception. Now, this has always been the underlying, uh, what you would say, worldview, Hindu worldview. And this is the basis on which the temples also have been built. Wherein the inner Garbhagriha shows the uh, pure essence or the Akar Rupa of that pure essence. And the outer temple construction, equally important, uh, embodies the outer Kosha. And it is through understanding this duality uh, can uh, a devotee move to a non-dual state or a moksha. So before moving ahead, just a brief on the Chalukyas of Badami. They uh, existed from the 6th to the 8th century. 
and um, they they were initially vaishnavas they called themselves as mahabhagavatas param bhagavatas rana vikrantas etc and and in, towards the latter half of their reign they moved to being uh, shaivas focused on the uh, shaiva sampradaya however during the entire reign we see them uh, patronizing shaiva vaishnava and jaina temples equally um they were one of the most powerful kingdoms in their time and they um actually had frequent altercations with the pallavas in the south and they also defeated harsha in the north so they were a po- political power that actually even had foreign relations with iran and southeast asia and one of the most important contributions was de- defeating the arab invaders in the first half of the 8th century near gujarat navsari today if that would have not been done uh, the invasions would have entered the deccan earlier than what happened and we would have not been able to see the kind of temple architecture that exists today the city of badami as uh, you can see today is expanding around its ancient nucleus from where even the uh, chalukyas began their political career this was also a well known city in ancient times uh, it was a teethasthala associated with rishi agastya uh the badami cave temples uh, really really uh, you know deserve a special mention because they are the next step in the uh, building of cave temples especially hindu cave temples the most initial phase happens in uh, the ajanta buddhist temples and then we see the first uh, hindu cave temple at least that is known to us which is uh, the elephant cave temple and this is the next step so we see a lot of borrowing of the concepts from those cave uh, excavations in these caves but we also see a new uh, creation of a new architectural template as well as a new sculptural style the the structures are very uh, simple in terms of architecture we have an ardha mandapa or a porch followed by the sabha mandapa and then the garbhagriha so here we'll be looking at the three hindu cave temples uh, the shaiva cave temple here um, is actually uh, uh, a later construction and it is simple in structure and in fact if we were to look at the pillars of the cave temple we would be seeing similarities with the elephanta caves uh, where uh, the similar cushion capital is seen uh, on the fluted column the porch becomes a subject of some very beautiful panel um, uh, you know sculptures like for instance here we have the depiction of the composite deity of harihara along with devi lakshmi and devi parvati but the most alluring uh, um, you know sculpture that exists outside this cave is this 18 armed basil leaf of nataraja uh, where he uh, shiva seems to be performing an ananda tandava uh, and he's accompanied by ganesha uh, this is one of the most beautiful descriptions of uh, this iconography and um, the sculptor or the artist has actually rendered motion in a static space and even the multiple attempts are made after this in the later cave excavations that happen at elora we do not see the similar level of uh, aesthetic so this is one of the most uh, important sculptures here now we'll take a brief look at the vaishnava cave temples and the vaishnava cave temples are a lot more embellished than the shaiva that we just saw and uh, however they are still uh, uh, you know unique in the sense that uh, even though we do have contemporary cave temple excavations happening uh, at the uh, with the pallavas deep south they have their own uh, what you would say uh, stylistic template of sculpture as well as decorational motifs which are very unique to the deccan region so here you can see a panel of three vikrama and one of the most uh, uh, you know beautiful uh, descriptions here is of this adivaraha uh iconography of the varaha avatar where he's rescuing devi prithvi from the ocean we saw how bharat uh, showed uh, uh, another uh, stylistic representation of the same iconography in the pallava caves but uh, this is unique in that sense that different elements are used here the last cave uh, that's present hindu cave present here is uh, literally an epoch in the sense that it introduces new architectural components which then get replicated later uh, by the rashtrakutas at elora and also it introduces a, a, a level of intricacy that is not seen here before one of the most uh, uh, visual panels that will strike you when you walk towards the cave is this uh, magnificent uh, vajantic virata rupa of vishnu where he is encompassing the three lokas uh, by uh, you know enlarging himself and 
this is in response to a boon that he got from king bali now here we can see that he's ashtabuja holding uh, numerous weapons and and the sculptors actually used a technique of say for instance showing the devas above his head straining against the borders of the uh, devaloka as a way of showing his expanding form so there are some uh, beautiful techniques uh, used over here now in this cave we get an inscription uh, by the uh, chalukyan king mangalesha who mentions that he inaugurated this cave in 578 ce it's an inscription in sanskrit and he in his intention is very clear he excavates this cave to create an unparalleled abode for shri hari and uh, he his and therefore we see the amount of work that is put into making this cave he also dedicates a village and its um, tax income towards the maintenance of this cave so and also he in, he writes in the inscription that visitors mendicants and scholars who are visiting the cave should also be provided for the architectural component uh, that is additionally new in this cave is this bracket like structure that connects the ceiling to the pillars which becomes the subject for uh, some very beautiful depictions of mithuna couples and beautifully bedecked uh, apsaras and uh, this is uh, an instance of how shringara rasas used to enhance the um, uh, aesthetic of the cave and also to elevate the mind of the observer the vaikuntanath sculpture in this cave can also uh, be observed so this is one of the most iconic uh, representations where we see shri hari in a sitting posture on anantanag and he's uh, uh, holding the chakra and the conch badami is very well identified by the sculpture and of course the ceiling itself is uh, literally like a canvas where we have multiple episodes from the puranas krishna leela etc um, literally even on the lintels and on the columns this is a uh, small example where we can see brahma surrounded by the dikpalas a very unique representation of a somya narsimha where a narsimha bhagwan is in a very very good mood he seems to be leaning on a mace which is currently not present but here the uh, the iconography is slightly different because instead of holding a chakra and a conch which we see in every uh, representation of the vishnu avatar he holds dwarves instead or ganas so these could be uh, the other uh, possibly icons of the same uh, symbols and we see a uh, uh, garuda in the in the human form instead of the normal iconography so a new attempt being made here we'll now move to the main site where uh, the chalukyas of badami actually uh, constructed most of their temples and uh, the chalukyas deserve a mention because they are the singular dynasty that patronized both architectural styles the dravida as well as the nagara style so the deccan literally became a meeting point for both these um, uh, styles and also at ihold they they literally un, uh, undertook a lot of experimentation in constructing multi tiered uh, garbhagriha temples as well as uh, you know the apsidal form of a temple in the durga temple that you would see at ihold so there was a lot of experimentation happening in the deccan and it was being spearheaded by the chalukyas Uh, so patada kallu becomes literally like the crucible on which uh, and and the experimentation theater wherein we see all kinds of temple structures so we'll be exploring them in the next few slides before moving ahead uh, just a brief look at how the nagara prasad architecture especially pro uh, progressed uh, because bharat has already covered the aspects of the dravida architecture so the guptas were the first pioneers and uh, within from the 3rd century onwards we see an attempt to use hard rock instead of brick or wood structures to create temples uh, the cave temples also that we saw earlier would have replicated some of the motifs as well as the ceiling panels or the pillars that were used in these uh, wood uh, construction so we see probably a movement of the same uh, as the material changes so we can probably use that to guess uh, how the previous structures looked like but the first gupta temple at sanchi that we know of uh, is a very simple structure flat roof then we move on to this parvati temple where a uh, platform is added and a circumambulatory path is provided the next stage then moves on to this brick temple at bitargaon uh, where we have a stepped pyramidal kind of structure literally which was used for by the dravidian uh, sthapatis uh, this is not the curvilinear uh, nagara shikhara but this temple which is the most important 
template or the first Nagara Prasada style, you can call it, Dashakta temple at Diogad, which literally has the remains of a triangular shikhara and has its own viewing mandapas on three sides with uh, sculptures of Vishnu. So this was a very important development. And after this, we then see uh, the next stage of development happening in the Deccan, where again, the Chalukyas play an extremely important role. So the Shikhara is uh, the curvilinear structure that is very, um, very, very much delineates it from the Ravida style. It is divided into horizontal sections called bhumis and vertical sections called latas. And using different combinations of these, as well as multiple repetition of Shikharas in the form of a cluster of Shikharas like we saw at the Khajurao temple, you can create variations. It also, Anagara temple also consists of the same uh, similar structure uh, in terms of mandapas. It, it will have the porch, the sabha mandapa, the antaral, and then finally the garbhagriha. So the earlier temples that were built here were of this typical style. However, they were not very, very grandiose in scale, in the scale. And if we were to look at uh, the one of the earlier temples, the most pronounced is this Mukhapatti, which actually gives you a, this, a, a carving of what is enshrined or what is a deity enshrined in the temple. So since this is a, a Shiva temple, we are seeing uh, Nataraja here. We also see a very unique kind of iconography here wherein we see five Shivalingas atop the roof, which probably stand for the five Shiva Tattvas, something that we do not uh, really uh, see frequently in Nagara temples. Now the Galagna temple is where the template of the Nagara Prasada style of temple gets fully formalized. The Shikara increases in size. Uh, there is a lot more intricate work done on it. And you can see the finial here, the typical Amalaka and the Kalasha on top. Now, this is an exact copy of the Arka Brahma temple that exists at Alampur today. Both were built by the Chalukyas of Badami. There is also circumambulatory paths in this temple now. And there are sculptures uh, with viewing mandapas on the side, similar to the Dashavtar temple that we just saw. Only one survives today, which uh, portrays the Andakasur Vad episode. Uh, we finally now move to the Dravida section of uh, the constructions that happened at Patradakalu. And uh, uh, even though the uh, Chalukyas actually built uh, some uh, experimentation of their idea of, of the Karnataka style of template and Badami in, in terms of the Malagiti Shivalaya. And if you were to look at Mahakuta, uh, the temple at Mahakuta, those were the initial attempts at creating uh, octagonal shikharas as well as creating a tiered layer uh, as the Vimana. But this is where it gets actually formalized again. So this is uh, this temple itself, it may not seem very ornate, but in terms of its value add to the uh, evolutionary curve, it, it cannot be ignored. So here we see the introduction of this hara or the parapet component, where above the, uh, the main uh, primary structure, we see the use of the shalas and the kuta structures, which are also seen on Pallava temples, and the tiered pyramidal uh, sort of vimana. Now, each layer here is a copy of the base. It's an exact copy of the base in terms of proportion and even style. It is just built in a uh, reducing size. The components, as you can see, Sabha Mandapa, Adha Mandapa, and the two tiers of this temple. So uh, just a brief uh, uh, look at the inscription that uh, we see here. Uh, it gives us an insight into how the decisions were made regarding temple building. So we have an inscription outside this temple, which says that uh, even though this is a, of a latter period, it uh, documents how the temple was built, wherein 52 members of Abhimanapura, which is a local village, they took the decision on selecting this Thapati. So even though the patronage was done by the king, the local decisions were taken by the council of wise men or, or what you would call today as a panchayat, or probably it was decentralized wherein the relevant parties made the decision. It was not like a despotic sort of a, a line of power. We also find various inscriptions where people make donations. And this is for centuries after the Chalukyas have been defeated, people kept the temples on, at, at this site running and, uh, you know, alive. Uh, Guri, uh, yeah. just keep a track of the time, please. Sure. Yeah. I'll just see, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll go a little faster. I'll just take around five more minutes. 
So the Virupaksha temple is the final culmination in this series, wherein uh, it actually uh, is the zenith of Chalukyan sculpture. We see a lot more uh, of development here uh, in terms of the sculptural panels as well as the intricacy. And the story behind this is that Vikramaditya Chalukya invades Kanchi. He sees the Kailasnathar or the Rajsimha Pallaveshwara temple. And he's so enamored that he actually dedicates uh, a huge amount of gold to the temple, comes back and resolves to build a temple unparalleled. And that's how the Virupaksha temple came into existence. Uh, now the Virupaksha temple has one uh, separate architectural feature like the addition of a Sukhanasi here, which is a copy of the Mukhapatti that we see on the Nagara temples, uh, which does not exist in any contemporary Dravidian architecture. Now we see many beautiful sculptures like uh, those of Mithunas as well as ceiling work in this temple, which is not, the richness of which is not unparalleled within that contemporary time. We also uh, get an inscription about who made the temple. It was an uh, architect called uh, Gundan Anivarikachari who made the temple and he's exempt from paying taxes for the rest of his life. So he's rewarded uh, not just by money, but by also such measures. Uh, before we move ahead, we'll just take a look at uh, a beautiful uh, Mahisha Surmardini sculpture, uh, a very different kind of a sculpture, uh, uh, not, uh, not seen before uh, in the cave temple excavation. Now this is present in a, in a sub-shrine within the main temple. The Malikarjuna temple that lies right next to the Virupaksha temple is just a smaller copy. And this is the beautiful Nandi Mandapa that we're looking at with the Gajathara and also uh, the use of Apsaras uh, for decoration. The Sabha Mandapa of the temples inside have pillars with a uh, uh, lot of intricate work done here. We see many inscriptions here which tell us that schools flourished, uh, which, which worked with the uh, Shastras like the Nata Shastra. There would have been schools of musicians. There would have been uh, various uh, guilds who were uh, uh, you know, uh, providing uh, uh, artisans who would work on sculpture. So it was a vibrant uh, place that we cannot really imagine how it would have looked today. But we would have had uh, various exponents of Shastras as well as Shastra art happening in the surroundings of this temple. The last Nagara temple built here is the Kashi Vishveshwara temple. One uh, needs to recognize it for the intricacy uh, of work within the temple in terms of pillars uh, of the Sabha Mandapa as well as the ceiling work. Uh, the pillars themselves are a uh, development in the um, Nagara architecture where we see the use of Kirti Mukha and the Gaja capital and also scenes from Kailasha like for instance here this is Ravana lifting Kailasha. Just quickly last few slides looking at the sculptures present on the outer facade of the temple. Uh, these sculptures on the outer facade also play a very important role wherein they help the devotee to uh, leave behind or to get detached from the temporal realities and ready his or her mind to go before the ultimate uh, darshan of the deity. So here we can see one of the descriptions outside which is of Harihara and here we have an Ashtabuja Vishnu even though this is a Shaiva temple, a beautiful Makara Torana with a Shiva Parvati and below we have Mahishasur Martini. Every panel has been done with a lot more detailing than we, we would have seen previously. This is Uma Maheshra on the left and on the right we see a scene from the Ramayana where uh, Devi Sita is being abducted by Ravana. Just finally before I close, uh, a look at one or two miniature sculptures which are present on the inner walls of the temple. So the inner walls of the temple are a knowledge, uh, a knowledge body literally in terms of episodes from the Puranas, from the Itihasa as well as it gives us an, uh, uh, a window into the life of the nobility. Uh, how the uh, palace uh, environments probably were. For instance, the first panel shows um, uh, Bhishma lying on his uh, bed of arrows with the Pandavas paying obeisance to him. On the right, you can see episode from the Ramayana where we see the Shurpanakha getting her nose cut and then finally uh, resulting in the abduction of Devi Sita. On the left, you can see a noble woman a Chalukyan nobility or probably a princess, how she would have been fettered in those days where she's surrounded by attendants and even is facing a scribe who probably takes orders from her or writes letters for her. 
on the right we see this beautiful uh, uh, you know sculpture depicting the kirata arjuna episode from the mahabharata and above is a very interesting sculpture where a single step from the uh, from probably the natyashastra has been encoded step by step as uh, so from position a to position c so a very uh, interesting way of depicting that so finally i'll close with the, this collage of some of the themes that we have explored and also some which we were unable to explore uh, like the durga temple at ihole as well as the multi story temple which were the most initial experimentations the chalukyas uh, would have to be credited for creating a very diverse range of structures for patronizing all uh, uh, what you would say sects or sampradayas and literally creating the golden age for the nagara as well as the dravida a uh, template which then went on to you know influence even the construction of the kailashna temple at elora i just want to thank uh, bharat and uh, gurpreet uh, for the presentation uh, for all the viewers uh, like to inform you that uh, that indic academy is uh, publishing uh, a coffee table book based on uh, the research done by gurpreet and bharat uh, will be published in a month's time or so uh the limited point is that uh, they are all gurpreet is a merchant banker in uh, in mumbai bharat is working for an engineering company in chennai but uh, they are very passionate and they have uh, resulting in a, a book actually this book has been very coincidentally made possible by dimple who saw them exchanging uh, uh, photographs and then she said why don't you convert your passion into a book so now finally we are going to have a coffee table book uh, published so please to uh, buy the book and encourage them to produce and write more such books Thank like sardesh i says uh, buy my book to know <laughs> hello thank you thank you shafali thank you bharat thank you yeah.